When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, good evening. Hope you've had a great Canada Day long weekend. A lot going on in the city. Hope you enjoyed some of it. Thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, tonight we feature a best of edition of the show, and it was great to recently catch up with the former head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Remember, he did the job on an interim basis a couple of years ago. Todd Nelson coming off an AHL championship. He won the Calder Cup with the Grand Rapids Griffins. Todd, how are you? I'm doing fine, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great, and let me be the latest person to congratulate you on winning the Calder Cup, the AHL championship. You beat Syracuse in six. How did it feel? I mean, I know you've won that trophy before. You've won it as a player and an assistant, which is a pretty cool accomplishment, but what was it like to take a team there as a head coach? Well, it was pretty special. You know what? Um, you know, I was born in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. That's always going to be my home, but my second home is uh, Grand Rapids. I've, I've owned a house here since 1996 and so I have strong ties to West Michigan I also coached and played in Muskegon which is just 40 miles down the road so I have a lot of friends here and uh, to win a championship is really special but to do it at home it's an unreal feeling you know Todd you told me something once um, when you were coaching in Edmonton it wasn't during an interview um, but I'm, I'm comfortable bringing it up here because it definitely applies to this situation and you said, Reed, the team that wins the championship, you got to have skill and all that kind of stuff. But he, but you said, you need a team that enjoys being around each other because they don't want the season to end because they they like being around each other and they want to keep going to work to the rink and playing for each other. Do you still feel that way? And did you capture that with Grand Rapids this season? Absolutely. You know what? Uh this year's team was so close. Uh, They're so unified in that dressing room. Um, you know, they, were, they did things together away from the rink. Uh, they enjoyed each other's company. And like I said before, if you get uh, your players to care more about other players, like the other players, you'll have success. And that's what happened. You know, we had a great leadership group in the room. Uh, some good, solid veteran guys, but. You know, also our second-year players, the guys like Bertuzzi, really took a step, uh, Robbie Russo. And then when you look at our young group, I think we had six rookies in the lineup. Uh, four of those guys were captains on their respective teams uh, before they came to us. So we had excellent leadership. Uh, the room was really tight, and I firmly believe that's what got us through game six because 
we were down three to two going into the uh, third period, and Syracuse is such a good hockey team. We didn't want to go to Game Seven, and uh, the guys pulled together, and we were able to get, to get two goals and hold them off at the end. But uh, a very tight knit group, and I believe that if we weren't that tight, we probably wouldn't have got very far. So what? What? How have you had a coach? How? How do you as a coach? help create that unity I mean you need the players and you need the buy-in um, but you know a coach can sometimes set the tone and, and I know that the half season you were here with the Oilers I think you focused on that quite a bit too because it was kind of a downbeat team and, and, and I think you helped inject some energy into the club so how, how do you as a coach try to help build that unity well first off um you know, if I want my my dressing room to be unified, our coaching staff has to be the same way. And, um, you know, I had three assistants working with me, Bruce Ramsey, Ben Simon, Mike Knubel, and we all brought something different to the table. But, it, but at the end of the day, we're very unified. And, uh, you know, as a coaching staff, the message was, let's come to the rink and be positive every day. Um, obviously, there's going to be bad days, and you have to hold people accountable. But I think it starts with us. And I think communication is key with our players. Not only um, the drills we do and the system work we do, but also get to know them on a personal basis. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's parents are in town, I want to meet them. So we get basically their support system away for the rink invested as well. Uh, so that's why it's very important that I like to meet um, the wives and girlfriends and get to know them on a personal level. So the guy is feel invested, but also the uh, support staff is very invested. And constant communication is key. I think that. You have to develop trust and respect. Uh, I think you have to earn it. Um, they have to earn my trust, and I have to earn theirs. And that's simply what it comes down to is good communication, um, having a, a family-first attitude at the rink where the guys want to come to the rink and work hard. And that's what I try to create with all my teams, and that's what I try to do in Edmonton. I think uh, the atmosphere uh, got tighter. I thought... Uh, I'll put it to you this way. When I first got there, there was about three or four guys eating lunch together on one side of the room, and it was, it was kind of cliquish. And then by the end of the season, or about maybe a month left, you saw 14, 15 guys eating lunch together. And so I try to create that atmosphere. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but uh, good communication with the player and showing them that I care uh, really goes a long way. And so that's that's simply how I do it. Um, you know, every day is different, but we try to get uh, – to know, to know the players on a personal level. Well, that's that's a great explanation. That was really good. Todd Nelson joining us tonight inside sports on 630. Chad Grand Rapids Griffins head coach. They just won the Calder Cup. Of course, you all knew Todd in 14-15 uh, when he was the Oilers interim head coach for the last 51 games of the season. Todd, I mean, you were in the Oilers uh, pro, in the Oilers system, I guess. You were coaching Oklahoma City, and then you got that half year uh, with the Oilers. So you were no stranger to the fans here and, and certainly to the organization. And it's interesting for me, you know, hosting a show like this and often talking to fans, how much respect they have for you and just how much, doggone it, they like you. Uh, is that still kind of flattering to hear that about uh, Oilers fans? It's very flattering. And I got to tell you, I went into a tough situation and uh, just to get the support from 
not only the fans, but the media were really good with me. And, um, you know, I, I'm Todd Nelson. I'm not going to try to be somebody else. And uh, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. Um, I like uh, good conversation. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but uh, I enjoyed my time there and uh, got to meet, meet a lot of people. I uh, got some friendships, uh, developed some friendships there. Um, but it was uh, a great time for me where I was gaining experience. It was a tough time, but also I was trying to have fun with it. And there, there especially, you have to come in the rink with a positive attitude. And it's not easy, not easy uh, sometimes, but you have to try to come and be positive because it rubs off on people. That's Todd Nelson. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630. Ched, when we get back, we'll talk about Claire Drake finally getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630. Chad. It was long overdue, no doubt about it. Finally, last week, Claire Drake, legendary U of A hockey coach, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. No one happier than the current head coach of the Pandas hockey team and a guy who played under Claire Drake for four years in the late 1980s, Howie Draper. Howie, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Great, Reed. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, especially under these circumstances. I'll just start generally. How do you feel that this has finally happened for Coach Drake? Uh, well, I'm elated. I, I don't. <laughs> this is probably um, as good as our last national championship. <laughs> you know, like with the Pandas. It's just. Uh, it's so great to see him finally recognized at that level. And uh, I mean, he certainly deserves it he probably i i think he probably uh could have had it a little bit earlier but um you know who am i to say but you know i i I think there's many people out there that have such a huge amount of respect for him that this is uh that we all feel that this is uh this is great to see it finally happen uh howie if if memory serves and looking at your stats correctly uh you had four or five years under coach drake because i think one of the years was when he took a leave and billy moore's coached the team is that right yeah, that's it exactly, yeah. So I played under him for four years. Okay. You know, I had Ian Herbers on in the last half hour, so I want to ask you the same question. Just what made him such an effective coach? I mean, he kept coaching and he kept winning, and sometimes coaches, uh, you know, their strategies or their motivations wear off on players. Clearly that was never the case with him. What made him not only so great, but so great for so long? Well, you know, it's, I think it's hard to pin it on one trait or skill or, or characteristic that Coach Drake had. I think there are a lot of things there, but um, the biggest thing for me was his humility. And this, uh, and, and so humility plays out in a lot of different ways, um, particularly as you've just alluded to, you know, and something that I struggle with on a regular basis is, you know, I've been coaching for 20 years and he's coached for 30-odd years. It's It's hard to keep your players interested and and keen on the message that you're trying to pass on and i think one of the things that he recognized is that um he needed to he needed to do a variety of things he needed to bring in different people to give the the same message in a different way and he was he was the kind of guy like i say his humility he was the kind of guy that would step aside and give other people uh center stage to to give that message think that was part of it um i think he was also well i don't think i know he was also an outstanding innovator so he always had different 
ideas and he was always looking for different ways to help his players develop as people uh, as athletes and as students and um, and I think that all contributed you know to this to this tremendous culture and this tremendous program that he was able to build and as a result uh, you know, there's so many men out there right now that um, I would say he he had a tremendous amount of impact on. I mean, did you, is it like all, all most coaches, and I know Coach Drake's very cerebral, but most coaches sometimes maybe have to yell or scream or send a message. Did, did he ever do that kind of thing, or was he always about you know thinking and and taking initiative and being being responsible, or did, was did he ever have to make you hate him a little bit? <laughs> I, well, I, I think that the funny thing about Coach Drake is that he um, he communicated in a different way. So <clears throat> he never yelled and screamed, uh, very, very rarely. I think I remember one time where he actually yelled at a player who at that time was doing something on the ice. I think that player was losing control and, you know, was about to take a penalty, and he saw that, so he's trying to do his best to stop the player. But he never yelled at referees. He never yelled at, uh, at his players. Um, he never swore. Uh, he he was always very methodical in the way that he he behaved. I think he he knew that uh, he was always the model, and that we were looking at him to to how best to behave in situations of of when pressure was high. And um, you know, and but I think he found people that that were able to bring in what seemed to be, if you want to call it a little bit more passionate, not to say that he wasn't passionate about what he did, I think he had a lot of passion, but he, he wasn't that guy that was going to kick a garbage can or, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, um, uh, you know, just get very, uh, very heated. Um, he, he found people that kind of provided that, that role. And again, that's his humility, right? Stepping aside and letting other people that had strengths in different areas um, fill in the gaps in, in areas where he, he didn't feel maybe he had the strength or the skill in or or, um, or that he didn't feel was the, what, what he wanted to model. Howie Draper joining us on Inside Sports, talking about Claire Drake, who today at the age of 88 gets inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The actual ceremony will be in November. Um, you know, so much to talk about, but you have an interesting connection here with, with Coach Drake, besides having played for him for four seasons. You wrote, and I'll, and I'll let you fill in some of the details, because I, Howie, of course, have not obtained this level of education. Uh, but uh, you, you did a master's, what was it? Was it on, like, was it on Claire? Was it on his his coaching what exactly was this yeah it was it was primarily on his leadership style um again i i just think that what amazes me is the impact that he had on me so that it was life it was really life-changing for me and um and then once i became a coach and and i had a better and particularly once i left the program and i i met all these other alumni and i started to get a, a sense for for the impact that he had on the hockey community, the coaching community throughout North America and really throughout the world. Um, but, but this tremendous impact that he had on individuals' lives and how successful they all were and how many were coaching largely because of, you know, the, what he was able to, to uh, transfer, the knowledge he, he was able to transfer to him and the passion for the game and all those things. Um, so that that just got me thinking that here's a guy that obviously knows something about leadership and what was it exactly that that had this 
influence on all these people in the hockey world. So, you know, when guys like uh, Mike Babcock and Ken Hitchcock and uh, uh, Ken Dryden even has a word to say about him, and, you know, all these people, he's impacted them in various ways, then you know that there's something there that's pretty special. So I wanted to find out what, what was special about that. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I, I got in, uh, I tried to find some some of the players that he uh, that he had coached in the past and, you know, talked to uh, some other coaches that coached with him and um, and tried to find out what it was that made him so special. And, and uh, so that led me to completing my master's. Did you, did my you... hope really was, was that it would, uh, I'd be able to share it with others, which is literally what I do. Anytime I talk to somebody, I bring up Coach Drake. But it also, I, w- I would hope that it, and I think it has helped me as a coach and as a person and as a leader myself. So did you start that while you were still playing, or was that all after your playing career you did that? You no, know, I got into that uh, just about five years ago, five or six years ago. I, oh, cool, um, okay. I decided, yeah. All right. So it was... Awesome. Okay, uh, Howie. I mean, this—it's just so much incredible stuff about about Claire Drake. I, I said earlier we could do a full day of people's memories and uh, his stats and accomplishments and, and his impact on people. You mentioned how he affected you. Uh, do, do you still talk to him? Do you still talk hockey with him? Because you know, Ian Herbers obviously coached the Bears uh, uh, th- three years ago, for three years. Um, do, do you still get to bend his ear every once in a while? And if so, what's that like? Yeah, I, I uh, not so much in the last few years, to be honest. But uh, um, you know, I, I think that I I had the awesome opportunity to spend a good year to two years with him and, and bent his ear a lot as I was going through my master's program. So from time to time, I'll still go and see him. And and when I do, of course, the first thing that he always asks is how is the team going, and. Uh, you know how are things going in terms of, of my coaching and and in my career and he's always been like that like he's the first guy when you win a national championship he's the first guy to send an email to congratulate you even to this day so um yeah absolutely anytime any chance i get to be able to to you know get a little bit a little bit more knowledge from the master um i'd, I'd certainly take it yeah, well, I mean, it's such it's such a positive story. I was so happy when I heard this because usually I've done interviews uh, about people being dumbfounded that he that he wasn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I, I'm glad he's he's getting in because he's an important part. And 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 like I said, Howie, this isn't just a bunch of Edmonton people sitting here saying put our guy in, right? Like you mentioned, he yeah. affected the hockey world. I I know there were NHL coaches, uh, and you mentioned a couple of them, Hitchcock and Babcock, who had been beating the drum. So I'm. I'm glad that uh, that all paid off finally. Yeah. Well, you know, every literally every hockey conference that I go to, his name comes up by one of the speakers. So it's it, like it's that profound. No, in terms. No, let me let me. In terms of what his leadership, his strategy. Well, in terms of what. I think I think really everything. Um, the, probably the biggest thing, and again, this comes back to his humility, is that he would share everything. So he would. He was one of those guys who would find different ways to do to do things, and then he would share that. And he, he was like a researcher and like an academic in that way because he would share them with the intent of seeing if other people could take the, take that information and maybe see if it works for them. And if it if it does, then he knows it's a sound idea. And and then not just that, but he would like to see people grow that idea. You know where where. He comes from a time, and you know, probably 
very similar to nowadays where a lot of coaches if there's some some new great new piece of information they keep that tight to their chest because they don't they don't want to lose that edge well he was the exact opposite he would share it with everybody and hope that everybody would get get better and grow the game of hockey which i think led to to again that an influence that he's had around the world that's howie draper talking about claire drake going into the hockey hall of fame when the best of inside sports continues you'll meet a new member of the edmonton oilers drafted just last weekend in chicago this is cam talbot from your edmonton oilers and you're listening to inside sports with reed wilkins on oilers radio 630 chet Hey, how's it going tonight? Thanks a lot for coming along for the ride. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports Best of Edition on this holiday Monday. One of the newest members of the Oilers organization, Skylar Brindamore. His father, Rod, played in the NHL, won the Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes. Skyler picked by the Oilers last weekend in Chicago, 177th overall. Skyler, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. It's great to have you on the show. Congratulations on being drafted by the Oilers. What, what's your draft story here? Where were you when you were when you found out, and what was your reaction? Um, I was actually coming uh, home from golfing. I didn't want to uh, sit around the house all day and kind of watch it. So uh, me and my dad went golfing, and then I actually was uh, we were listening to it on the radio, and uh, I kind of heard it in the background. Um, heard my name called, and um, kind of ran inside and saw it up. Uh, on the TV, and um, so it was pretty exciting. I was I was very honored and uh, very excited. So you, you were with your dad when you found out. What did he say? Uh, he was just he was very proud. He just uh, you know he just hugged me and said uh, you know he's very proud and um, you know it was it was a pretty cool moment. Now who's a better golfer, you or your dad? <laughs> I'm not too good, so I gotta get that to, to my dad for sure. Okay. Did Did you think the Oilers might be interested in you, or what were you thinking going into the draft weekend? Um. Yeah, I had a you know a, a meeting with uh, one of their scouts um, back at my school, and so I knew they were uh, at least uh, a little bit interested. And so uh, um, obviously, it was one of the teams that um, I thought I might might uh, have a chance to go to. So I was uh, I was very excited. All right. Let people know what type of a player you are. What what would your scouting report be of yourself, Skyler? Uh, I think I'm uh, just a big centerman that uh, plays both both ends of the game. Uh, you know, defense and offense uh, wins draws um, and just just tries to make plays. Um, I think that's kind of kind of my game is just try to be a playmaker uh, and uh, and play both both sides of the puck. What was your minor hockey career uh, like? I, I mean, you were you were born in North Carolina. Now I know there are obviously more and more players coming from you know the non-traditional markets. But uh, what what was your minor hockey career like? When did it start getting competitive for you? Tell tell fans a little bit about that. Yeah, um, well, I grew up uh, in North Carolina, obviously, and I played all the way up until this past year. Um, actually, in North Carolina, we had. A really good group of of 99s uh, my birth year and uh so we were you know highly competitive uh with all the the top teams um kind of around around the u.s um you know we would we would travel to chicago and detroit um and all those places and and play the top teams so it was uh i was very fortunate that that i was able to do that all the way up until uh until last year and then i ended up going up to uh connecticut um play at south kent school um 
just to just get to more development wise and and uh so i was very fortunate to be able to do that as well okay skylar brindamore joining us on inside sports drafted by the edmonton oilers over the weekend skylar what do you remember about the 2006 stanley cup final <laughs> uh not not too too much i do remember uh kind of the big game seven uh for sure the most i uh you know, obviously, um, really good game, and then uh, kind of came down to the end there, scored the empty net, and then uh, you know, go down the ice and, and seeing the cup and and hugging my dad and, and all that um, it was pretty cool. And then obviously after after that game, the kind of the party with all the team, um, the cup over at our at our house was uh, was very special. All right, so you got to go on the ice after the game, eh? Yep, yep, I did. So kind of uh, weird for you. I don't know if it's weird, but I don't know if you ever thought you'd be drafted by the team that your dad beat in that game, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely it's ironic, but it's uh, it's pretty cool too. So, what do you remember about your dad as a player, and how has he influenced you? Um, you know, I just remember him just being you know hardest worker. Um, you know, I think probably anyone in the league definitely you know off ice and even on ice. So. Um, and obviously, he was just, you know, a really smart player, uh, you know, did all the little things, uh, you know, went, won a lot of the draws and key draws and, and just played just played really hard. And that's what I remember most. And, I mean, he just, you know, influenced that um, into my game uh, for sure. Just you got to be out there and compete um, every shift and, and, and bear down and, and do all the little things that uh, add up to the, to the big, big things. All right. So, uh, now, season, you're going to play in the BCHL. Is that right? Uh, yeah, go up to uh, Chilliwack and BCHL next year. Okay, how come that's uh, that's the spot you picked? Uh, you know, obviously, I really like the uh, the coaching staff up there, and um, thought it was a great great place to develop my game. Um, and you know, my family and I, we both uh, agreed that it was it was the uh, the best place to part of my game and learn and, and develop. Okay, and then you've also you've also committed to Michigan State for. Is there a specific year you're going to Michigan State, or is it just down the road? Um, it's not a specific year. You know, I want to have a good year next year, and then uh, and then go in. Okay, that's kind of the the goal for sure. Um, but it's not nothing set in stone as of now. But um, that's definitely kind of the uh, the goal is just to have a good year next year playing juniors, and then and then go to school. Okay, right on. Skyler, tell me, and, and besides your dad, i got to say besides your dad, who's a hockey player that's influenced you or that you have liked to watch or modeled your game after? Is there anybody you can tell me about? Um, yeah, I really like uh, watching Joe Thornton um, a lot. I, I just like the way he plays. Um, you know, I was very smart, um, kind of controls the game, and just makes um, some, you know, really... Really smart plays and, and just competes really hard every shift. Um, that's one 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 player I definitely like to try to model my game after a little bit. So uh, definitely him. All right, and I don't know how much Oilers games you watched uh, last season, but if you're in Chilliwack, watched a lot of Oilers games this coming year. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I haven't been able to watch too much. Uh, obviously, with the time change and then and then playing later and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that this year for sure. Okay, Skyler. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for letting Oilers fans get to know you a little bit, and I'm sure we'll be talking down the road, man. All the best. All right, thank you very much. All right, that's Skyler Brindamore. When we get back, you'll hear from a man who made thousands of dollars by being really good at a video game. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. 
All right, how how would you like to win $10,000? Sounds pretty good, eh? How would you like to win $10,000 by winning a video game tournament? Well, our next guest here on the Best of Inside Sports did just that near the end of May. Mark Stenmark won the Golden Tee World Championship. It was a pretty incredible feeling, that's for sure. I've been uh, been playing uh, Golden Tee for a long time now, and uh, that was always... Uh, uh, an aspiration of mine. Um, uh, when I first started playing back in 2008, uh, that was uh, the they had a world championship, and that was a, a big appeal, a big draw to me. And I, w- I was hoping uh, one day I'd be able to, uh, to win that. Um, unfortunately, they discontinued during the world championships uh, after that year. And so by the time I got good enough to where I, I could actually compete for it, um, from about 2010 on. Um, uh, it wasn't available. They finally brought it back again last year, and um, uh, and then I was fortunate enough to win it this year. It was a uh, yeah, it was a pretty amazing feeling. I, I got a lot of questions now, Mark. You're for you're from you're in Houston right now. You're from Houston. Yes, I live in Houston, Texas. I've been here for uh, I've been here for probably 15 years. Okay, uh, and, but I, I'm, I am from Texas. So. And, you're, and you're from Texas. And the World Championship was in Vegas, right? Yes. Yes, in Vegas. And it was, I think uh, it was... They had it, yeah, they had it at a, 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 a bar there um, that was... Uh, uh, they brought in 16 machines. There were 64 competitors who qualified to compete. And, um, uh, yes, it was a... It was a, a, a uh, it was an environment I was used to. In okay. the past, they <laughs> held it like convention centers. But the bar environment is, is definitely a, a more more comfortable for, it, comfortable feeling for me. It's more of a natural habitat for Golden Tee players, is, uh, is the way I'm going to put it. I think you'll agree. <laughs> okay, Mark, I, I, mean, I got so many questions. First of all, so you're in, you're in Houston. Do you like do you have to qualify for the World Championship, or, or did you just sign up, or, or are there stages just to reach the final tournament in Vegas? There was a, there was a qualifier. I believe it was uh, two months long, and um, there were a few different ways you could qualify. Um there were, I believe, uh, there were two tournaments that you could have, uh, that if you won those, you, you would have won an entry into it. Um, two players did that. They, they had a couple of different contests, um, a couple of the game options that they have uh, online. Uh, they gave away four passes uh, for two of the different game options uh, for the top finisher in those. Um, um, and then there was also a, a 50-man qualifier to where... Um, players who played during this two-month period of time, uh, their best um, 50 games, top 10 scores from each of the five courses they have out this year, okay. uh, counted towards their 50-game average, and the top 50 of those players um, uh, got a pass into it. Okay. Mark, that, I mean, that's incredible. So you, I, mean, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I, I just turned 40 earlier this year. Okay, so, so in 2008, so you're you're 30, 31. That's when you kind of decide to dedicate yourself to becoming a really good golden tee player. I mean, how come at, at, at that point in your life, what made you say, okay, I'm not going to take up running, I'm not going to golf like in real life, I'm not going right. to try to write a book. <laughs> like, what, what was it about golden tee? Well, I've always been, uh, a lot of the players who play Golden Tee, uh, especially a lot of the uh, top players, they do come from uh, a bit of an athletic background because it does take a bit of uh, hand-eye coordination 
uh, to be able to uh, manipulate the track ball in such a manner to to, to um, uh, get it, get the ball to go where you want to go. Um, and the, it does take a, a bit of a little bit of intelligence, I guess, along with that. But um, I've always been a pretty good at video games as well. And uh, the, just like you were, just like you were saying uh, during the introduction, that that uh, yeah, if uh, if uh, I could play a video game for a living, that was always a, an aspiration of mine. But like you said, it was it seemed like a pipe dream, something that that couldn't be possible. But but uh, then uh, I'd say back in 2008, I was in a bar with a, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine and we happened to see a golden tea machine over there and uh, uh, we started playing and then I saw that oh there's a, an option to where you can actually win some money so I started learning a little bit about that and and eventually I decided I had a, I had the job I had at the time uh, gave me the freedom to where I could play a little bit um, so I'd play a few games uh, um, every day every other day to where you know I just started getting better okay so Mark and, uh, well, sorry to cut you off, uh, but are you? Do you have a a job now, or are you truly a professional video game player? A professional video, but video game player. I'm actually um, I'm actually back uh, going to school. I've uh, I've played uh, Golden Tee professionally since probably 2009, and um, it just it's come to the point now to where. <laughs> It does feel like uh, it, it feels like a job to me. <laughs> it's, it, right. It's kind of lost a little bit of the uh, the the fun it it had when uh, when I was doing it uh, a little more a little more casually. Um, and so I'm I'm just looking to you know like I told you before I'm 40 years old and I am finally looking to do something a little different. But I, I will always keep uh, golden tea on the back burner, something I could play and, and make a little bit of money to subsidize my income. So. Mark Stenmark joining us on Inside Sports. He's calling in from Houston. He's the 2017 Golden Tee World Champion. He uh, he has, has been able to play that video game professionally. He won $10,000 for the World Championship. So, Mark, i got to ask, I mean, what do your family, friends, and your, your old co-workers, I mean, first of all, what did they say when you really decided to pursue this? There must have been some funny looks, man. Um, I'm sure there were. Um, I'm sure there were. My, my, my parents are, are, are pretty cool pretty laid-back people they've they've owned their own business for for uh, 40 over 40 years now they've they recently sold it and retired but um you know all they ever wanted was their for their kids to be be happy and do something they you know that that made them happy and so you know when i decided to do this uh, they were a little little skeptical but when they saw that i could actually start drawing a paycheck from it you know they were very supportive in that manner they've even come to some of my tournaments and cheered me on and and watched me win a few tournaments here and there and uh, they, you know, they were excited about it. They loved watching me do sports, and this was just like another, another level for them. Uh, you know, later in life. <laughs> okay. They still had the same thrill. All right. Uh, now, what what scores do you typically shoot? Because I, I I I've played Golden Tee occasionally, <laughs> but I know from watching really good people, you can birdie almost every hole if you're good. What's a standard round for you under par? A standard round. Um, it, it's it's all set up dependent because of the way they create the courses. But these courses they have out nowadays, it's uh, it's, it's typically between a, a twenty eight or twenty nine under. So that's oh, that's, that's about my average, uh, somewhere in between. <laughs> and so, and I and I was watching the final few holes of your World Championship. Like you, you had to shoot twenty nine under because I think your opponent was twenty seven under. Like it's not like you cruised to victory. Right, no, exactly, and and when you got uh, the stage they had in Vegas, I mean, um, everybody there was capable capable of beating anyone else there. Um, 
Um, there's a ton of great players, and actually, uh, uh, Golden Tee, the way they're the way they're designing the game now, they're trying to kind of make it to where uh, it's easier for uh, newer players to to get uh, better quicker. Okay, and, and you see a whole lot of uh, great players coming up because of that because of the design they have out now and uh, even at the, the bracket the bracket play they had the, the number one and number two uh, qualifying seeds they lost their first match so nothing I mean oh. nothing was a gimme in, okay. that, in that tournament Interesting. Okay, Mark Stenmark joining us on Inside Sports tonight at seven forty-four. All right. So you mentioned. I mean, you're. So you you said you just turned forty. I'm forty-three. I think you and I are of that generation where you probably always had a video game system in the house. We might we may we might even be the first generation that can kind of say that. And now certainly younger people, it, it's standard. What 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 are your first video game memories? Did you have the Intellivision like me, or what got you hooked? I didn't. Uh, the first uh, video game uh, system I had was the uh, Atari uh, Fifty Two Hundred, I believe. Okay. <laughs> and uh, my favorite game on that was uh, was Cubert. <laughs> nice. I loved playing Cubert. <laughs> uh, you know, pole position. There were a lot of good. There were a lot of fun games uh, from that system. Uh, so, but yeah, that's where I got. That's where I got started. That's where I got hooked. I was probably. You know, six or seven years old, I'd say. Okay, now, do you have a console at home now, or ever since have you started playing Golden Tee, have you like, okay, now I don't play the games at home? That's uh, that's exactly right. Whenever I whenever I switched to Golden Tee and I, and I decided, okay, this is the game where I can make money, I gave up all the other games. I mean, uh, um, the other games were at that point were just a, a waste of time uh, when I could invest my any of my spare time one because when i first started i had to i had to work i was working a job and had to make money to be able to afford to play this game so any other game was just a waste of time and so i spent a majority of my free time honing my skills playing golden tea do you have a golden tea machine in your house no i get that asked that a lot i, I do not it, it, um, i would love to but they're they, um, it's not a, uh, it's not that cheap you want to buy a brand new one out of the box it's uh, it's about four thousand you know american dollars and uh, uh, then you have to uh, get a TV or whatever else to go with it. So it's not, it's it's a pretty expensive investment. Okay. Probably could get a used one for a couple thousand maybe, but still that's a lot of money. Well, why don't they give you one? You're the world champion. Do you want me to make a few <laughs> phone calls here, Mark? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what. I say I would love I would love that, but uh, but one of the uh, one of the prizes that came along with winning was that uh, I basically get immortalized because they put my face in the game. And so my my face will be in the game as a character you can choose to play oh, uh, from here to the uh, to the end of Golden Tea. So I take that as a nice consolation prize. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have another big event coming up, or now do you have to go through the world qualifying again? Um, there's a there is a, a Golden Tea tour, kind of like the uh, kind of like a, a comparable to the P, PGA tour. Um, it's the PEGT tour, Power Events Golden Tea tour, and uh, they have six stops uh, that they tour around. So they have six locations, and, and, and when you play in these contests and these tournaments, um, how you finish, you accumulate points, kind of like FedEx cut point standings yep. and at the end of the year the last last location they'll have a uh, player of the year uh, tournament okay all right well that th- i mean this is amazing that's an amazing story it- it's incredible how first of all how good you got at the game and then second of all that you've been able to to do very well playing it uh mark you live in houston uh I- i'm gonna i'm gonna assume you're 
probably not a big hockey fan, though I could be wrong. Tell us uh, what's floating your boat as a sports spectator in in your life in these days. Uh, yeah, as a, I mean, the uh, NBA Finals just ended. I, I, I did watch uh, the NHL um, uh, playoffs. Uh, I don't. We don't have a, a professional team here anymore. But even our independent team, the uh, the Arrows, moved on. I believe they went to Austin now. But uh, yeah, so we don't have a lot of hockey here. But there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of hockey fans. A lot of people here, in Houston, uh, come from all over. And so I have some friends who are. I have uh, some friends who are uh, Penguins fans. Some friends who are Blackhawks fans. Uh, a buddy of mine who's a Stars fan. And so we'll watch. We'll watch some hockey. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's exciting for my my friend uh, who's a Pens one this year. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, but and there's, there's actually uh, the place where I play up. Uh, there was a former um, uh, Houston Arrows player who who frequents that a lot. Who was a um, I forgot his last name, but his first name is Bobby. Anyway, he was a, he comes in there all the time, and he's a real nice guy. So I mean, I have the uh, most respect for cool for that. Well, Mark, thanks for, for making time for me tonight. Uh, I, I, you, you might have been probably a little shocked when someone from Edmonton uh, reached out, but uh, it's a really cool story, and thanks for sharing it with us, and uh, hope you have a great weekend. Hey, we're connected on Facebook, so so keep in touch, and if you ever have a, uh, uh, you know, if there's ever a Canadian that you think deserves some uh, some accolades, let me know, and we'll get him or her on the show too, all right? Oh, certainly. Yeah, there's a lot of great uh, Canadian players up there. Um, I actually beat one uh, at the uh, at the tournament there, Enzo Polidori. He's a he's a good guy. He he finished second in the World Championships in 2007. So uh, yeah, there's a there's a uh, there's a strong following there. So yeah, for sure, Reed, I appreciate the. Uh, Appreciate you reaching out. Well, that's an incredible story. That's Mark Stenmark, the 2017 Golden Tee World Champ. The best of Inside Sports continues with former NHL defenseman Mike Commodore.